You're listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick. Hi, I'm Hamish. And I'm Scott. And today we have the great privilege of speaking to Angelo Kogo from a company up in Townsville called Invention Pathways. Now, this is a, a name you might want to write down. So get your pen out, write that name down. They are an amazing crew of people all about getting inventors off the ground and helping them through the path of, and it's quite an arduous path sometimes, of inventing something and commercialising it. Um, I'm involved in the company, or in the, in the network, I should say, as the industrial designer. And um, we work together very, very well over the years to help people get their product up and running. Um, Angelo today is going to speak about a very important um, aspect of the setup when you're going to do an R&D venture of any type, especially when it's a little bit um, unique and inventive, uh, which is really where we aim. You know, we were trying to get people invention, patents and and cover that allows them to get some um, sustainability in their company. So company structures are really important for grants uh, and investors and IP protection. So, um, without further ado, I'd like to bring Angelo in, if you could uh, start us off and introduce yourself. Thanks, Angelo. Hi, Scott. Thank you for that introduction. I am a chartered accountant in public practice, but as my second day job, I work with Invention Pathways in holding the hand of inventors to get them to commercialise or to register their IP and then commercialise that or commercial success. Typically, the, the inventor comes along and he's just a sole trader, and that is fine, but we recommend that they have a more formal structure, one, to protect their personal assets, and two, to have limited liability themselves in case of misadventure. And for this, we recommend a proprietary limited company. And that has to be Australian registered, doesn't it, to, to uh, allow for the grants, just to be clear? Well, the advantages of the proprietary limited company is that you can apply for research and development grants. You can't as a sole trader or partnership. And so that's what's important about the company structure. So typically, the inventor owns the IP and he issues an irrevocable licence to his company, that company to manage the manufacturing, marketing and distribution of his product. I say an irrevocable license because it's got some KPIs. And if those KPIs aren't met, then if you've got other parties in there, in that company, you can terminate that arrangement and start something new. The reason that there's an advantage with the company is that when the company gets to a profit stage and it pays some tax, the shareholders get the benefit from that tax like a second bite of the cherry. So as an individual or a partner in a partnership, when you pay tax, you kiss it goodbye. However, when the company pays tax, it sits at the tax office waiting for the directors to declare a dividend to the shareholders. And it is very valuable, especially for inventors who might have good times and not so good times. In the not so good times, we use those franking credits to pay a dividend to the inventor, the shareholder or their family. 
and this is very attractive for many of our clients. Perfect. And I'll add there, you can't have a trust either in, uh, to apply for a grant. Um, so when you, um, when you set up a, a company structure, there's also, from what I've uh, talked to you previously about, um, an opportunity to have a, uh, another company structure that allows investors to be involved, but not actually have access to your IP, which can be very, very beneficial in protecting the IP and allowing you to reestablish that IP if things go sour within the, within the business. Is that yes, something that's you can elaborate on for us? That's exactly why we keep the intellectual property in the inventor's name personally, and it's the company that has got the right to manufacture, market, and distribute. So there are some government incentives that with high net worth individuals, if they invest in a structure like this, they can get 20% tax rebate. So for a million dollar investment, that person gets a $200,000 tax rebate personally. And it means though that if the enterprise fails, he hasn't lost everything, that high net worth person. And so the government is encouraging people to develop their ideas uh, from a college industry to a much larger industrial activity. This type of company is a called a early startup in innovation company, ESSEC for short. And yes, the ESSEC shareholders invest in the company which has the right, not necessarily directly into the company that's got the IP. That's brilliant. Um, obviously, um, being an accountant, um, you're very good with, with, with money and figures, and we're, we're going to be talking, uh, in an, uh, this is a part of a three-stage, uh, three-episode series, uh, one talking about company structure, one talking about grants, and one talking about funding. Um, just on that, on that financial side of things, I mean, obviously people are coming into this and they're realising, well, this is a big, you know, big risk and there's lots of things going on. Um, in my mind, it's actually, uh, you know, everything in life's risky. Even government jobs now are risky. So, you know, I think if you're going to make money, in my mind, you have to risk. There's just no way around it. There's always a risk if you want to try and achieve and, and, and increase your um, financial position. Um, but, you know, a lot of people I know who've got um, financial stability will invest in property. Um, in, my, in my mind, I, I mean, I invest in property a little bit, but... A lot of my money goes back into projects simply because the income from a project is far, far greater than um, a house. Even and, and it's other people paying it off, no different to a house. If you've got something to sell, someone puts money in your bank for that product. If you've got a house, someone puts money in the bank to live in, the, in that house, but you have a big, big mortgage. So for me, I find that investing in products is, I mean, it's, it's, it's what you know. I know it, so I'm, I'm comfortable doing it. But it'd be um, really nice to hear your thoughts about, uh, you know, how a, how a high wealth individual could get involved in these sort of projects and benefit the inventor and themselves along the way. Well, by following the guidelines that the government's given out in relation to these early stage innovation companies, that high net worth individual can get their tax rebate on their personal tax. 
but it also affords an opportunity to the inventor to give this project a go, a really good go. And that is why it is advantageous. Also, companies only pay a flat rate of tax of 27.5%, whereas the individual, once they earn more than 87,000, is paying something like 39% tax plus Medicare. The company doesn't pay Medicare levy of 30%. So there is a, an arbitrage between profits in the company taxed at 27.5 flat compared to an individual whose tax rate goes from 39 to 45 to 47. And so there's always an advantage to let the company make the profit, accumulate the franking credits and pay dividends back to the inventor and his family during leaner times. Yeah. Look, I, uh, I think there's a really, really, I mean, funding is probably, uh, we've spoken about it before, but it is probably the primary reason for failure in projects. It really, I always overestimate to people what they should budget for and so they go into it with realistic expectation. It's it's really one of those things, it's still insignificant compared with the house. It's just that you, with a house, you have a massive percentage of mortgage, whereas with a project, you really have to have money up front to do it, which is you know, sometimes difficult to find. But generally what we try and do is get to a prototype stage fairly cheaply and affordably, and then hopefully um, attract an investor and then get the appropriate funding to take it right through. And obviously um, this might lead us into to another episode, which is the funding part of it, which um, we might talk to you. I think we might do that third. We've got, uh, we've got Jag Deep going to talk about grants first. So we might, uh, we might cut it off there and, uh, and move on to the next uh, episode and uh, talk about other things because it's going to start segueing into those, those areas. So thank you very much for your insight there. Unless you have anything else to add, we might just pull that up and, uh, and go on to the next series. There was just one last point. Oh. These days with social media, there is a trend to use crowdsource funding. Oh, yes, and right. crowdsource funding is like a donation for a cause. But the government in October last year uh, introduced some legislation where you can have equity crowdfunding. So you actually own shares in the company. It's not a donation anymore. And that is becoming very popular. In the 12 months that these rules have been in place, the 13 licensed um, facilitators have raised more than $40 million of projects around Australia. Right. And that, I'm yeah, sorry, is it, how hard is that for people to administer? Because those sort of um, sourcing systems are quite easy to set up, but what sort of what sort of difficulties, or are there any difficulties in managing something like that? Is there any difference? No, no because with equity crowdfunding, you can only raise a $3 million amount, and the books and records of the company are just like everybody else's. The shareholders who invest in that company have got the same type of shares as the inventors. So there's no difference. You know, you don't have to keep... It's not like a listed public company. Right. So everything's pretty concise and consistent and therefore not an extra burden. If you go to raising more than $3 million, you have to become an unlisted proprietary company. Mm -hmm. uh, an unlisted public company. So then there's new rules, but not quite as stiff as if you were registered on the stock exchange. So this is a way that, so that's $40 million of, 
entrepreneurial capital that's been raised in the country in 12 months, the first 12 months, to get projects off the ground. That's awesome. So, like at the moment, well, I'm working on one where we're trying to raise just under $2 million to create an interpretive centre which is going to have education, tourism, and scientific research based in it. And so the shareholders are going to actually benefit from the new intellectual property produced by the research conducted in that centre. And that's the advantage. This is done through a license, licensed agent, isn't it, Angelo? Because an individual yes. can't, raise, uh, can't advertise to more than 12 people for his investors. Or no, so this is, there's a special rule that says you could, you could normally have no more than 50 shareholders however, in a company. However, the government has introduced rules that says the equity crowdfunding shareholders only count as one. Right. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so it gets around a lot of earlier barricades that were in the place to stop things happening. Mm. And this is now a trend that's happened in the UK, New Zealand, the US, very much so in the last three, four years. And we're just catching up now. So, in fact, you could, as an individual, almost advertise for shareholders under that regime because you're... Um, you're considering that the equity fundraisers or the equity investors as a single entity. Is that correct? Yes. And the people that get involved is because there's an emotional attachment to the cause of the company. Mm. So like the one we're doing now is involved with saving the Great Barrier Reef. Well, what's been in the news more than anything else in the last 12 months? Saving the Barrier Reef. Mm. Oh, and the, the perceived risk of in investing in that way would be a lot lot lower, I would have thought, as well. I mean, so a lot of people shy away from, I'm sure, with stock exchange and things like that. But, uh, you know, people are so used to things like change.org now. It's it's sort of like just one click and you're there. So, it's, yeah, it's yes. a lot easier. Yeah. Mm. This is sort of, uh, I guess, broaching into the fundraising. <laughs> I, I think we will. We'll put, we'll put it up here, Angelo, and we'll, um, we'll go into the fundraising um, one. Uh, as, as segment three, we'll talk about the grants. Next. So hang on, I'm going to say just if, if any of our listeners are interested in going down that path of uh, crowdsource funding, can they contact you, Angelo? Is that something that we can say? Yes, they can. So we've got our webpage for Invention Pathways, which is www.inventionpathways.com.au. Yep. Brilliant. Okay, well, I'll put that on our Facebook page for listeners to follow. That's magic. Thank, Thank you very much, Angela. That's really, really valuable stuff for our listeners. And obviously that's why we, we get you involved. Um, we love having knowledgeable people on here for our, our people out there. And uh, just, be, just be aware, this, this recording, uh, Angelo and Jack Deep are up in Townsville. So we're doing this over uh, a Zoom connection. So there's a little bit of um, disturbance in there, but it's definitely uh, legible, hopefully, or, or audible. So Hopefully you can put up with that and, get, and glean out all the in, in, information that's really important out of this, uh, this podcast. Thanks very much, Angelo. We'll talk to you in a minute. Thank you. You've been listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick.